Our communion meditation is in John. John chapter 15. I'll read from verses, uh, from verse 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have had no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Father, we thank you for your word, and we praise you, Lord, for having sent your son to fulfill what man could not. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us and for your grace that's lavished upon us in his name and for his sake. Amen. As we've been progressing through 15, there are these phrases that Jesus keeps repeating. Uh, At the beginning, it was abide in me, and then he transitioned to love, and now he's transitioned to hate. So he uses the word hate here eight times, and hate is a powerful word, and many hate the word hate in our culture. They view the word hate as evil, but really, it's not inherently evil. The Bible says God hates many things. He hates robbery, and that's in the context of people stealing from him what they are supposed to be giving him. He hated their feast days in which they were more feasting on their own uh, success as opposed to glorifying God. He hates evil. He hates false oaths. He hates false doctrine. And a few weeks ago, I had preached on uh, Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated. And I know some say that that hate there means love less, but I disagree. God hates things. He hates people. And so hate in and of itself is not evil, and yet we have to be careful as to what or who we're hating and why. Why is it that we're hating Jesus accuses the Jews in verse 25, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Notice how he says in their law, their law, it's Christ's law too, it's his word, but yet he's showing that they're rejecting the very thing they are killing him over. They're rejecting the word that they say they believe in defying him. So, they have a cause, but Jesus does not recognize their cause for hate as just. Therefore, they're unjustified 
in exercising hate in this way. Now his words concerning hatred, even the world hating us, are meant to comfort us. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would have loved its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Christ is emphasizing the fact that your identification with me more or less guarantees that you are going to have people hate you. But that should be something that we rejoice in because the world's hatred reflects the fact that we are identified with Christ and Christ identifies with us. It's when the world is not hating you when you're supposed to be living a Christian life that you might begin to wonder why it is that the world doesn't hate you so much as it hates other people who are identifying with Christ. So in verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. They do not know him who sent me. So the unjust actions that they are uh, bringing against Jesus and that they will bring against them are because they don't know God, which they would deny vehemently. They're accusing Christ of not knowing God, of being the devil himself. And yet Jesus is saying, no, they don't know God. They don't know me, therefore they don't know God. See, the world would have us believe, seduce us into believing that you don't need to love Christ in order to love God. The circles I work in, I come into contact with people from many cultures. And some of these people are very religious. Some of these people, one of these fellows that I worked with way back in the 90s is back over in India now, and I still see his posts on Facebook where he's affirming his love for God, capital G. And yet I know that the God he loves is not the God I love. It's not the God, and it breaks my heart. But when he was here in Omaha, we had brief conversations about that. Brief because he didn't really want to have me speaking to him about Christianity because he, many Indians have been inoculated against it in India. They, they associate Christianity with uh, the British dominance of them. And so they've thrown it off along with Britain. So in verse 21, he says, they do not know him who sent me. In verse 23, he says, he who hates me hates my father. And in verse 24, he says, now they have seen and hated both me and my father. He is inextricably linking himself with the father and the father with him. You cannot love the father, but through loving the son. And he insists upon that. And yet even people within the Christian church now in America deny that. And it's so pervasive in our text. You cannot get around the fact that Christ says, you must know, love, accept me, obey me in order to be a child of my Father in heaven. Yet, so many in the Christian church are now beginning to reject that. And so we must not reject that. We must affirm that. And through affirming that, especially in this culture right now, you will be persecuted. 
In verse 22, Jesus says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. What does that mean? If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. You know, when you read that, it sounds like what he's saying. In our culture, we say that ignorance of the law is no excuse. What he seems to be saying is that for these people, if he had not come, they would have been ignorant of what was right to do and they would have been free from sin. Isn't that what it sounds like it's saying? It's right there. It's very clear. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. And then in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So you must realize that he's not speaking about sin in a general sense, in a, in a uh, original sin sense that all deserve condemnation. What he's referring to is the fact that they are specifically rejecting the Christ, the only means to get to heaven. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So see, he's condemning them for having rejected the only solution to the only problem that rules in their lives. They are consumed with lesser problems, but he's pointing out to them that they are in sin because of what they're doing. So the sin is specific to the rejection of Christ. American Christians, we've long been insulated from the hatred of the world because we've been immersed in an acceptance of cultural Christianity. And that's been a long time. That's been generations that Christianity has more or less prevailed by default in the United States. But it's passing, and it's rapidly passing to where suddenly it's flipped. It's like that Othello game where all the black and white markers are out there, and suddenly, boom, and everything's a different color. That's what's happening now in our culture. So many people are hostile to Christianity. We must not back down from affirming the name of Christ in our culture because we are opposed we must instead rejoice the fact that when persecuted, we are uh, being affirmed by God that he knows us, he loves us, he walked the path before us. So as we come to the table, we acknowledge that God loves us, he wants to bless us, and yet we also must stand for him in a culture that's opposed to him. Father, we thank you for your love we thank you for your courage. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would grant us courage. Uh, we are cowards in our flesh. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, grant us wisdom to see evil in all of its many myriad forms that seek to seduce us away from the truth and also the courage to oppose that and to stand up in the public arena and stand firmly for you. And we pray, Lord, that the persecution would not be coming upon us because we're jerks, but that it would come upon us because we are modeling Christ-like character to a world that hates him. We thank you now, Father. We ask you to bless us with this table. We thank you for the privilege of partaking of both your Lord's Supper today as well as witnessing the baptism earlier. We uh, are lavished by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.